Hello and welcome to the Bone and Joint Playbook with Dr. John Erse. Tips for Pain-Free Aging. Today's topic is. Are you sure it's hip bursitis? Maybe not. Let's listen in. Hey there, Dr. Erse. Welcome to episode number four of the Bone and Joint Playbook. Hey, thanks, Terry. How are you today? I'm great. So what do we got going on today? Well, today we're going to get on to a, a new topic in the hip area. Today's topic is called, Are You Sure It's Hip Bursitis? Maybe not. <laughs> what is hip bursitis? What is bursitis? Well, bursas are little cushioning sacs that the Committee on Design puts over all the bony prominences in your body. So if we feel the outside of our elbow, there's a hard bone there, there's a cushioning sac called a bursa over that. And there's one on front of our kneecap. There's one on the outside of your hip bone. We're going to talk about the hip today. But we also have bursas in other places. We have them in our shoulder. We have them in the ankle in different locations to cushion or provide a, an area to help pad areas where bones might rub against things. And it helps us with getting through our lives with the different surfaces we encounter. And what, what are the symptoms of bursitis or bursa? Well, we first should probably talk about just what bursitis is because when you hear the word itis at the end of anything like bursa, that means inflammation of that structure. So when you go see your doctor with a sore throat and you say, I have tonsillitis, my tonsils are inflamed. So itis and inflammation usually go hand in hand and they mean something's red, swollen, painful, and uncomfortable. And if you have trouble swallowing with tonsillitis, a person with hip bursitis may have symptoms of trouble laying on their hip at night, going up and down steps. They may have weakness trying to climb stairs. They may have trouble getting in and out of a car or getting in and out of bed. So these are things we're going to talk about today because the word bursa helps you cushion things, but when it gets inflamed and becomes angry or, or red, and then as we talked about, with an itis at the end of it, like bursitis, then it becomes something that brings people to see their medical provider. And how do I know I have bursitis versus something else? Maybe another, another kind of hip problem? Well, that's a great question, Terry. And that's what the things your doctor, your physician assistant has to sort out by asking you questions. So we always start with a history. We ask people when it started, what made it worse, did you fall off a horse on a certain day and everything started hurting after that, did it come on gradually, do you feel like there's numbness or tingling or burning down the leg, that could be a sign of a nerve problem, we've all heard of the sciatic nerve in the low back, sometimes that nerve goes right by the hip and mimics a hip problem, and it depends where the nerve is being pinched in the low back. If you look at one of our previous podcasts, we talked about pinched nerves and each level of the back has a nerve that goes to a certain part of the body. So the low back area has part that go to the back of the hip. I have a patient I just saw who had an L3 nerve problem. She had all pain in her rump or butt, but none down the leg. If you get lower in the spine, like L5, and they talk about S1. Well, what is it, L? I don't understand what that means. L stands for lumbar. So our spine is broken into different segments called the neck or cervical. The middle of the chest is called thoracic. The low back is the L for lumbar. And then your tailbone, which is called the sacrum, um, is the lowest part of the spine. But at each between each spine bones are little discs that cushion and then those can sometimes 
cause irritation to a nerve that goes out to the right or left side of the body. So we want to ask questions like, could this be a low back problem causing what's called referred pain? So we've all tapped on our funny bone of our elbow and seen some tingling down to our fingers. Well, you're hitting your funny bone nerve, which is causing a transmission of symptoms, and that's called referred pain. We've heard of sciatic nerve pain down the leg. Well, the nerve problem goes all the way to your toes, but it may start in your low back. So a hip problem may be the hip. It may be in the hip joint, which is closer to the groin. It may be the low back. It could be where that thing called the sacrum meets the back and the pelvic bone, and that's called the SI or sacroiliac joint. So there's a lot of things that people can get into trouble with from you know, doing yard work, having babies, getting in car wrecks that wrench their back, wrench their hip. And sometimes these get fixed by your medical providers, your chiropractors, your physical therapists. Sometimes just it gets better on its own with a little rest. But when the problem persists, this is where continued discomfort on the outside of the hip is is something that brings people to see us, and that's what we're going to talk about today. So are you an expert in, I know you're an orthopedic surgeon, but do you have some specialization in hip replacement or hip bursitis issues? Well, I do, uh, Terry. Uh, a lot of our orthopedic surgeons replace hips. Those are what we do for real bad arthritis, and a plain x-ray is going to show that. So if your hip is real bad, just like your knee or shoulder or ankle, we have what are called joint replacements. So we're for the most part, trying to exclude those problems today. Because when the, the hip is real bad in the joint, it can make it hurt around the joint on the outside, in the front or back. And we're not really looking at those problems today. But I also have training in what's called hip arthroscopy, where we look in the hip with a light and we uh, try to fix problems that are in the joint or outside the joint. And some of them are in the sitting area, called the um, hamstrings, called those little muscles you sit on on your sitting bone. Some are on the outside. We talked about the outside of the hip being where your pocket of your pants would be by your butt. So there's a hip bone right there, and we can all reach out with our palm and push on a bone there. That's called the hip bone. Um, I also teach some of these hip arthroscopy courses to doctors around the world who come in to learn about hip arthroscopy, which is a way to look in the hip with a light. The thing that makes it a little tricky is that you have to pull on the leg in traction in order to get the hip partway out to get instruments in that are a little more difficult to do. So most most physicians don't do that type of surgery, but I do that type of um, instruction, so I'm familiar with a lot of patients with hip issues. And would my normal family practitioner understand bursitis? Is that something that's so common in the medical world that everybody knows how to treat it, or is this something that's kind of unique? about uh, the, the hip area? Well, the family doctors and the physician assistants, and for that matter, orthopedic surgeons, all know what hip bursitis is, just like they know shoulder bursitis. But you wouldn't go in for a shoulder problem where you have pain and weakness and have three or four cortisone shots in the bursa without saying, Doc, I can't put a dish on a shelf. Couldn't it be my rotator cuff? That lifts my arm up. Maybe we need an MRI to see if I've torn something that won't let me lift my arm. Well, in the hip, we do these hip injections over and over from different doctors and providers, and they keep putting it in the same place, expecting a different result, but that's not what the problem is. So today, we're going to talk about all the things that aren't hip bursitis that make the outside of your hip hurt so that we can find the right thing that we can do to make the problem better. 
Okay, so help me understand as a as a somebody walking into your office for the first time, and I have pain in my hip. What is it you do to help eliminate the other things that is not so you can isolate that as hip bursitis? Well, as we said, we so remember we talked about the history. We asked you how it started. Where do you where would you point to where it hurts? Does it travel anywhere? What makes it worse? Walking, sitting, standing, is there numbness or tingling? All those things are important. Has the hip already been replaced? Some people have a torn muscle on the outside of their hip and you can't see it on an x-ray. So the X-ray may look like a great hip replacement, but the person is still limping and can't go up a set of steps because the muscle that lifts their leg is torn. So the first thing we do is we take an X-ray and we say, gee, the X-rays don't show anything in the bones. That's a problem. It's not arthritis. The hip replacement looks great. It's not, maybe it's not in the hip itself, but it still could be. And we'll talk about that. We then do an examination. So in the office, you want your doctor to check your leg strength. When I check your arm, called the rotator cuff muscles, I'm pushing against your arm as you hold it away from your body. If you have good arm strength, your arm is like a little rope that lifts away from the body with a rotator cuff tendon. Tendons are little ropey attachments that the muscle uses to bone to move body parts. So if we're looking at your leg muscle strength, I'm gonna ask you to stand on one leg and do a knee bend. I may ask you to try to lift your rump off the table and do a bridge test to see how your, what are called your glute muscles are. So if we reach back to our butt, everybody's got some muscle there. Some have a little bit extra too. There's a muscle that lifts your leg away and they're called the gluteus medius and the gluteus minimus muscles. There's two of them. Just like the rotator cuff of the arm has different muscles that turn the arm in or out. When your doctor examines you and sees that those muscles may be weak or a source of pain, then we need to do more than just an x-ray. That's where an ultrasound test which uses uh, radio waves and some signals from a sound wave. People have seen ultrasounds when they look for a baby's heartbeat. And then the other test that's the gold standard for hips is an MRI. And an MRI is a more detailed test that shows the muscles, it shows the cartilage in the joint of the hip, and any problems that might be torn in the joint. And we have to be sure some outside hip pain may not be coming from the inside of the hip joint. So in patients of mine who haven't, like if you had seen me for the first time and you have outside hip pain and you've had a couple bursa shots, my first thing I'm going to do in most cases is put some Novocaine in your hip joint with an ultrasound to know I'm in the joint. Some doctors do that with an x-ray thing called a fluoroscopy unit, but it causes a lot of radiation for both of us. And if the outside of your hip pain goes away with a shot in your hip joint, which is in the groin here where your knee bends up and down, then that may be a problem in the hip causing referred pain to the outside of the hip. Therefore, we talked about looking in the hip with a light. You may need something like a hip arthroscopy to actually fix something on the outside of the hip. You ask me, what would I do next? If I did the shot in your hip and it didn't help, then we've eliminated it being in the hip joint. And if I checked your back and we don't think it's a sciatic nerve, then most of the MRIs are going to tell you what's going on on that outside hip bone area. And ironically, what percent of the people do you think have this hip bursitis problem as their final diagnosis? I have no idea. I mean, I... My, I would guess it's a lot of people. 
And that would be a wrong answer, Terry. And I ask my students and residents that same question. The answer is less than 10% of people have hip bursitis as the main problem. Really? So that means 45% of people have a complete tear of the hip muscle that lifts your leg away called the glute tendon. So if you think of a rope that lifts an awning, if that rope is not attached to the awning, it's not moving that that awning up, right? When people have a rotator cuff tear of their shoulder and they can't lift their arm, that has to be fixed sometimes. So when there's a tear of a tendon or a ropey structure, that's going to cause most surgeons to say it needs to be fixed or it's never going to really lift that leg away from the body. There's two ways to fix it. You can open it with an incision and put stitches in like a little shoelace. I have a technique that I use with a scope, little holes, and we still put in the little stitches and we put these little um, stitches in called anchors, like we do a shoulder. And in fact, this procedure for the hip is called the rotator cuff repair of the hip because the rotator cuff is something people know lifts your arm. These muscles called the glute tendons lift your hip away. Now I know you own a patent for something. Is this, is this the thing that you own the patent for? Uh, I do have a patent on one of the repair techniques for using two rows or called a double row anchor repair of this uh, gluteus medius tendon tear. And um, it's just a technique that I developed about 10 years ago. And um, it's not something other people can't use, but it's something right. that, that I just developed at the time. Okay. So continue. You were telling me how, how we go about repairing these things. Well, again, so we're going we're gonna to look at that MRI report and say one of three things is the most common problem in the hip. One of them is the bursa. But the name of this podcast is, are you sure it's hip bursitis? Maybe not. <laughs> and the reason is, it's only hip bursitis 8% of the time. So 92% of people don't have hip bursitis. They have a either a full tear, we talked about a complete tear, 40-some percent of the time. But fortunately, about 60% of people, or a little more than that, have what's called a partial tear of the tendon. And a tendon, we talked about being a ropey structure. So if you take a rope and rub it on the edge of a jagged rock, it may start fraying. That's called a partial tear, or a, maybe it's half a rope. And it's not completely torn. You could hang off a cliff with that rope if you wanted. Um, it's not the greatest rope, but you haven't fallen yet, right? Right. In those cases, there's some there's some less invasive ways to help that tendonitis problem. And again, this tendon is now inflamed or partially torn. And one reason we think this is a common problem, particularly in women who tend to get this problem five times more common than men, is that the way their pelvises are made to have babies, the outside hip bone rubs against one of the uh, bands of fascia, they call it. And people have talked about this thing called the IT band on the outside of your thigh. It runs all the way down to your knee, much like a barbershop strap. And that can rub against the tendon like that rope against a rock. And they think that may be why some of these tendons get partially torn or what's called frayed in, in more commonly women than men. So let me ask you an odd question. Uh, I always heard there's folklore of when the weather turns bad people's bursitis acts up. Is there any truth to that? Well, it's probably not as much their bursitis as it is their arthritis. So if you have bad knees, bad hips from cartilage wear, and cartilage is the white stuff or the gristle at the end of the chicken bones that cushions our joints, most people who have some arthritis will tell you, eh, it's going to rain later today. So it's really more the arthritis in the joint 
than it is the bursitis outside the joint. And the bursas, again, are areas where bony prominences rub, like on the outside of your kneecap. We have a knee bursa. So there's a thing called uh, housemaid's knee where somebody who's on their knees cleaning a carpet may rub that cushioning sack and get it inflamed or swollen and it becomes pain a painful knee bursitis. So I think the weather question probably is more related to arthritis than bursitis. And, and is this an old person's condition? Not necessarily. It's, it's more common probably, I would say, over age 40. Um, most people... And in, in, in again, we compare this a lot to the shoulder because the shoulder lifts, you know, the arm and the mu- muscles of the shoulder lift the arm away, those rotator cuff muscles. So when we're in our 20s and 30s helping our college roommate move into a dorm, we may have some shoulder pain that's just a little inflammation of the tendon that lasts a few days. But when you're young, most things like that don't just tear. But over time, you know, that rope against a jagged rock starts getting more and more irritation and finally it breaks or tears. We see the, the gluteus medius tears or what's called the rotator cuff of the hip, usually in patients over 50, commonly even older than that, 60 or 70. But as people are living longer in their, to their 90s, these are much more common problems that I think are mostly unrecognized. So tell me the, the treatments that you have for I know that we talked about PRP injections for other things. Is that something we can use for, for the conditions that people might suffer from bursitis or the, they think it's bursitis? Tell me about how that might work. Well, we talked uh, on one of our earlier podcasts about platelet-rich plasma, and that's mercifully abbreviated PRP. That takes a person's own blood, and we spin it and concentrate it in order to get these thousand or more anti-inflammatory and healing proteins that are in the blood and we can put them into an area of injury like a hip tendon called the the gluteus medius tendonitis so we're going to look at three of the things that the mri may have shown bursitis maybe just a cortisone shot helps that and unfortunately probably 90% of people won't get permanent relief of that. Okay. Or phys- and we always want to try something like therapy, physical therapy. And there's some new technology saying that shock therapy called extracorporeal shockwave therapy can actually help hip tendonitis, which is another form of that inflamed tendon. But if, if we then go to more current technologies, the PRP has been studied in people with tendonitis. So those, that, group of people, that not the people where the muscle's completely torn, where the tendon's detached, those probably need to be fixed. And we do them through that scope procedure. Right. But if you have just a partial tear, and that's going to be about 60% of the people with outside hip pain, that's the majority of the people. Fortunately, some of the newer laser technologies, putting a laser in or adding some of the platelet-rich plasma of their own blood, in some studies, it's shown to give people up to two years relief with a very minimally invasive procedure. Uh, An ultrasound is used to find the little area of tendonitis or the tear out by the outside hip bone. Then the blood is drawn from the person's arm, so it's using their their own blood proteins. And then after we spin it in a spinner device called a centrifuge, we put that platelet rich plasma right into that area where the tendon's torn. The studies show that people get up to two years relief with that, and that's simply a, a needle injection through the skin into the into the inflamed tendon area. And how long does a cortisone shot last? 
Well, the cortisone shot may only last you, you know, weeks or maybe a month or two. So it isn't really, number one, it isn't going to fix the problem because it's not the bursa. It's actually, because the MRI said the bursa is only the problem less than 10% of the time. Right. So that's why having repetitive bursa shots with cortisone doesn't make a lot of sense. Let me give you another example. If you had hip bursitis, which some people have, and you get a cortisone shot, you may get a year's relief with that. Then I'd say, come and see your doctor every year and get a shot in the bursa. Right. That's fine. I'm talking about the people that don't get relief or have very short-term relief a week or two. They've tried therapy, and something's just not getting better on the outside of their hip. They can't go up a set of steps. They can't sleep on their hip at night. They can't get out of a car. Then you have to dig a little more and try and find the problem. Okay. That's, that's fascinating that uh, uh, the PRP can help that uh, for that long of time. Uh, what What... I know cortisone shots are relatively inexpensive, but what, what does a PRP injection, uh, you, uh, you may not need to tell me the cost, but is it more expensive than a, PR, uh, a cortisone shot? Well, insurances pay for cortisone because that's a, a steroid, what's called an anti-inflammatory medicine, and we use cortisone all over the place. We use it in your knee, your shoulder, your tennis elbow. It may be in, in, a, in an inflamed bursa in other parts of the body. Right. There's a knee bursa. Um, unfortunately, some of the newer technologies called platelet-rich plasma and stem cells are um, not all on board with all the insurance companies. So the patient may have to pay part of the coverage for their care if they use the PRP. Um, there are ways it's combined with the procedure where we use the, we talked about the laser, and we call it a through-the-skin tendon injection called a tenotomy. That can sometimes be done as a procedure where the anesthesia gives a medicine to the person as an outpatient, but it's a minimally invasive thing where the patient gets a sedative or a relaxing medication, and then we put the PRP in with the hospital bill, but <laughs> the hospitals fight it over with the insurance companies. But um, I think we're going to see um, a, an emerging um, use of these technologies. Uh, we're in Dayton, Ohio with Wright Paired Air Force Base, and the military... Um, is insured by TRICARE and some of the other carriers. And they're very on board for a lot of these PRP and stem cell uh, procedures because they're insuring a lot of people who can't all take time off for surgeries. And they've seen the benefits of that. And they are one of the more emerging um, carriers that, that help cover some of the costs for these procedures. They, For instance, in Dayton, TRICARE pays for a PRP injection for your tennis elbow, which is pretty neat. It's better than therapy sure. or a cortisone shot. Right. And that's a new technology that some insurances haven't adopted, but but one of them has. Okay. As we come to a close for this episode, is there anything that we we should make sure the listener knows about bursa or bursitis that we haven't covered? Um, I think they should um, just realize that if their problem isn't getting better, you probably haven't found what the problem is and you need to look a little harder. And I always tell my patients, somebody somewhere knows what's wrong with you. And, um, you know, we send people up to the Cleveland Clinic and the Mayo Clinic, and some difficult diagnoses are only found in some places. But either way, the idea is that somebody should be able to find why you're having pain. And if the results you're getting aren't improving your condition, I think you need to look a little harder or ask your doctor to do a few more tests uh, or refer you to somebody who might be able to help you with the problem. All right, Dr. Hirsch. Well, thank you very much. And this has been another episode of the Bone and Joint Playbook with Dr. John Erst. 
Thank you very much, Dr. John Erst. Thanks, uh, Terry. I will give a plug for the website, drjohnerst.com. There's a, a blog section that has some article reviews about uh, using some of these injections for the hip, and uh, people can review those if they'd like. Very good. Thanks again. Thank you. Thank you for joining us today on this episode of the Bone and Joint Playbook with Dr. John Erst. Tips for pain-free aging. Please join us again for another episode. This has been a production of Doctors Unmasked, produced by Terry O'Brien.